All right. If you can track down a Bible, there are Bibles in the racks in front of you, and uh, we'll be on page 640. We're in Isaiah chapter 40 today. Uh, 620, I'm sorry. 620. We're in Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, this talk will be a little different. We want to celebrate what God is up to. We want to think about our history together. And Lord willing, we want to look to the future and just think about this, what I think is a pretty significant turning point in the life of our church right now. Uh, so we're going to Isaiah chapter 40. Um, I'm going to read the passage. I'll pray. We'll get to work. This will feel a lot different than what you normally experience on a Sunday morning with me, but I'm going to jump around a bit, show you this one idea, and hopefully kind of frame out our discussion with this one concept. So Isaiah 40, starting in verse 28, reads like this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's pray. Lord, as we open up your word together, and we remind ourselves of the way that you have been so kind to us. We pray, Lord, that you would speak over us, that you would, that you would help us in this season to think about the posture that we can have and the way that you can lead us into this next chapter. So, Lord, we pray that you would have your way with this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the things that we find in Isaiah chapter 40 is this surprising principle. It's the idea that weakness and waiting are not a problem for God. Weakness and waiting are not something to be avoided, but they are, in fact, a way to embrace the kindness of God. They become a platform for God's strength and grace to be made evident in our lives. So I'm not going to go into everything here, but I'm going to show you three things in this one main point. The first thing to note here is that God has unlimited resources. God has unlimited resources. That's what verse 28 is about. It's saying, haven't you heard about this God that we're talking about? Don't you understand? This Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He is the maker of all things. And here's something that we know about him. He will not get tired or grow weary. His understanding no one can fathom. God has this unlimited capacity for strength. There's never a moment where God goes, you know what, I'm smoked right now, like the rest of us. Like we get through a busy week and we go, man, I am just pooped. Like I'm just tight, I'm wiped out, I just need a nap. That never happens with God. God never looks around and goes, you know what, I'm just, I'm just exhausted right now. No, God is unlimited in his strength. He is unlimited. He does not grow tired are weary. His understanding, no one can fathom. He has all understanding. For us, we have limited capacity. We, we make decisions with some of the information. For instance, the, the budget that I was sharing with you, we, the elders and I have sat down, the staff and I have sat down, we've kind of looked ahead and we've gone, okay, here's a pattern. Here's what's happened historically with us. Here's what I perceive could happen in the future, but we don't know. We don't know all the details. We don't have all the information. We make decisions based off of what we do have, 
and we hope that that reflects wisdom. But God, he has all understanding. No one can fathom the wisdom that he possesses. He knows the end from the beginning. He is somebody that we can look to, and he always has what is needed. That's the point here. God has unlimited strength and ability. But secondly, we find out that we, on the other hand, are weak and needy, and that's okay. We, we are not unlimited in our resources. We are finite. We run out. We do get exhausted. We, we do get tired, but God delights to give us exactly what we need. Look at verse 29. God gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. God gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. God doesn't want us to pretend like we've got it all together. That's good news. God is not looking for us to kind of put our best foot forward, which is what the world tells us to do. If you fill out an application, what are you supposed to do? Give all of the glowing recommendations of yourself. Talk about the best things about you. The world says put, put forward your, your best and hide some of those things that you might be embarrassed about. But the Bible flips it around and says, no, 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 God's not embarrassed by that. He actually delights to give strength, strength to those who are needy. This is what he does. This is his M.O. So we want to be people who embrace that reality. That's why the strategy, the third thing we see here, is that there's a strategy that's a really, really good strategy. It's waiting on God. In our weakness and in our condition of being weary, the thing that we should be doing is waiting on God. Look at verse 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That word hope, in the ESV it's translated, it comes across as those who wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord. So we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to wait on him and he's supposed to supply what we need and that is a good arrangement. So here's the principle then from Isaiah chapter 40. The principle is this. Weakness and waiting are not things to be resisted and rejected. Weakness and waiting are not things to be resisted and rejected. They're to be embraced and celebrated. That sounds weird, right? You're like, uh, are you sure that's right, dude? Like, that sounds backwards. Weakness is something to be embraced and celebrated. That's what the Bible presents to us here. It presents this idea of acknowledging our limitations and trusting that God can supply for us exactly what we need. So some of us are very needy in this moment, and God is trying to speak over us. That is just fine. You don't have to come to church and pretend to have it all figured out. You don't have to come and pretend to be the best version of yourself. You can come with your hesitations and your limitations and your concerns, and you can bear that before God, honestly and openly, and he will supply for you what you need. Now, this principle travels throughout the scriptures, this idea that weakness and waiting is the way to relate to God. So let me show you an example from real time. There was a king in 2 Chronicles. His name was Asa. If you've ever read the Old, the Old Testament, if you've ever read the Bible, you understand a good king is hard to come by. You read and you just hear about all these different failures of the kings. But Asa just so happened to be a pretty good king as he started out. And in chapter 15 of 2 Chronicles, he's needy. He's depending on God. There's, a, there's an enemy army coming against him, and he's praying to God, and he's asking God to defend the people of God, and God delivers them. He also makes some pretty incredible 
societal reforms. He's trying to align the experience for the people of God with the desire that God has for them. He's making all kinds of changes, and it's going quite well. He's doing a good job, and that's what's happening in chapter 15. A needy individual is relying on God and his strength to supply what he most desperately needs. But then we get to chapter 16. After he has success, and after he becomes established, and after he moves in, everything changes. In chapter 16, we find him not no longer depending upon God. Here's what he's doing. He's striking up an allegiance with a neighboring nation. He's depending upon the king of Aram for support and stability and help. He's making an allegiance with a human entity, a nation, to try to, to, try to increase uh, his stability because he's worried. What happens if another nation comes against us? What happens if we end up in another situation where we need help? It'd be nice to have some friends next door who are strong and mighty and can help us. So he does that. And a prophet comes to him and says, what are you doing, dude? What's your problem here? Don't you remember how you got here in the first place? You were dependent upon God and he gave you victory. And now you've turned away from him. And the messaging, the subtext is you should repent and return to God. And he says, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want to. And he has that prophet arrested and thrown in prison. And the end of the story is quite tragic. But that's what the Bible does. It gives us an honest depiction of what this looks like in real time. Instead of repenting and returning to God and depending upon God, he doubles down on his self-reliance and his, his desire to find strength elsewhere. In fact, the end of chapter 16 in 2 Chronicles tells us that he had a disease in his feet. And instead of praying about it, he goes to the physicians. And that's not a, a slight on the medical industry. It's not saying you should never do that. No, no, no. Physicians are a good thing. They're very helpful. People who've studied medicine and treatment are very helpful and can be used for the glory of God. But here's his problem. Instead of returning to God in prayer, he says, I don't want God. I'm going to find another solution. See, that's the problem, and that's the tendency that we have in our own hearts. In moments of weakness, we sometimes can readily admit we need God. We need God's help, we need his strength, and we can depend on him. Here's the scary part. When success starts to happen, we so easily turn away from God and turn toward other resources. And that's what, that's what I'm trying to remind us of today as a church and as individual believers. What, what we have within us is this unbelievable capacity to resist God and to go in a different direction, and instead of relying on him, and and instead of continuing to acknowledge our neediness, we begin to look elsewhere. But the way of the true follower of God is one of humility and need and reliance upon God himself. So in the New Testament, this idea shows up again. It's the idea of weakness and waiting. The Apostle Paul, if you're familiar with him, very talented individual. He had an incredible education. He was well-trained in all these different ways. Uh, He was knowledgeable. If you were to do kind of like a personality profile and a gift test of him, he would be exceptional. Quite the dude. But when he writes to a church that's basically saying, why should we listen to you? Why should we follow you? And they're saying, give us your credentials. Give us the reason why we ought to listen to what you have to say. There are other teachers. We like their messaging more. Why would we follow you? And he says, listen, if I have to boast Here's what I'm going to boast in, my weakness. We'll put it up on the screen, 2 Corinthians 11.30. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. 
You go, hmm, that's a backward strategy. If you want followers, you don't come up and go, here's everything that I'm terrible at. You put your best stuff out there. You kind of show people, you ought to follow me. I'm worthy of your, your following. But the Apostle Paul says, listen, if I'm going to boast, here's what I'm going to boast in, my weakness. The things that reveal my need for God. In fact, he keeps going in chapter 12. He talks about a specific thing. He had a, a thorn in his side. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't think anyone really does, but he has an issue that he's been praying about. And he's saying, would you please remove this, God? Would you please take this away from me? And God says, no, I'm going to leave it. It's just fine. And here's why. It's in uh, chapter 12, verse 9, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. It's, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul comments then, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This sounds so absurd, doesn't it? We as followers of God should be boasting in our weakness. I think that's true as individuals. I think it's true organizationally as well. I'm, I'm actually going to spend a little bit of time now rehearsing parts of our story of how we became a church. And I'm going to remind us of the weakness of me personally and the weakness of our launch strategy and the weakness of our shared experience together. But I think I think this is a good, a good thing to do because when we look forward and we go, okay, what is God leading us into? I don't want to be like Asa who says, okay, we, we had our season of dependence. Now we're going to figure it out on our own. Now we're going to lean on our ingenuity. We're going to lean on our resources and our strength, and we're going to move forward in might and power that we possess. No, no, no. I want to double down on we are weak and needy people, and whatever 2023 looks like and beyond, it's going to be marked by this posture of weakness and waiting. And that's going to be okay. If you uh, have heard this before, I apologize, but I think it's worth our time. Uh, the start of our church really goes back to 2007. It was a season in my life that I was going through a lot of challenging things, and I was really discouraged. I was unclear on what God was up to and if I should be in ministry and all these different things. But in 2007, God gave me a calling that I would put like this. It was a calling to church planting. Sounds funny. Church planting means starting a church. But I, I began to have this idea of what a local church could look like, and I felt like that's what God was leading me toward. Now, at that moment, I'm a 20-something dork. I have no idea what I'm doing, no formal training, no experience, no business even entertaining the idea. Uh, in fact, I was a director of a sports ministry. It was a startup, so it was basically a bunch of homeless people with a tree farm van and a boat sponsorship traveling around. But God says, here, I'm moving you into this new chapter, and you're going to be called to this work of the local church. And I was excited about it. There were features about it that were very clear, aspects of the ministry that I was like, I would, I would die on that hill. There are things about this ministry that I can imagine that I'm going to give my life to, and they're going to be very particular about how the ministry is going to function and aspects of it and the content and all of that. That all dates back to 2007. But again, I'm an action sports minister, director of a ministry at that moment, and I, I began helping out with the, the local church, uh, my home church, Central Christian in Beloit, Wisconsin, and I'm volunteering with the youth ministry and doing it for a handful of months. And they, they started talking to me, and they're like, hey, would you ever entertain the idea of being the youth pastor here? And I'm like, absolutely. 
That's local church work. That's significant. And so they bring me into an interview, and they're asking me all these questions, and they're going to offer me a position. We're about an hour into the meeting. We're, we're wrapping up. They're about to pitch this, uh, this opportunity to me, and they say, what do you see yourself doing in five years? I said, oh, that's easy. I'll be planting a church. And they're like, okay, well, we're offering you a position. You understand this, right? You're in in an interview right now for not that. You're in an interview for a youth pastor position. Are you interested in in that? I was like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm interested. So they're like, well, we think you are the right guy for this position, but you need to keep us posted about your future. I said, okay, right on. And so I'm I'm doing youth ministry. But again, there's that idea in me that I feel like God is calling me eventually to church planting. And Ash and I get engaged and, and then married, but, but in, the, in that process, she's a registered nurse, and she's from Rockford, but has moved to Chicago, and she's working at a hospital there. And so there's just a lot of ambiguity of what are we supposed to do? Like, okay, God, we can't live in two different cities, work in two different places. So I started talking to a church in Chicago that is committed to church planting. And I meet with the lead pastor, and we, we spend a half a day together talking about ministry, talking about philosophy of ministry, talking about what they're up to, and it's very, very exciting, and we're just like kind of geeking out, like, oh, this, this would be wild. And so he's like, I want to bring you and Ash in and have you talk to the staff, and we'll just kind of keep this conversation moving forward. So we go into this meeting, 15 to 20 different you know, staff individuals from their church, and they're asking me questions, and everything that is coming out of my mouth, I am like, why is this happening right now? What am I saying? They asked me, here's an example. They said, hey, Cor, why, why do you like Chicago? My answer was, I don't like Chicago. <laughs> Great question, right? We're planting churches in Chicago. What do you like about Chicago? And I'm like, I don't like it. And what I meant to say was, I'm not chasing an affinity here. I'm not going out. I'm not trying to get into Chicago because that's really where I want to be. I was trying to communicate, if God opens this door, it's because he opened that door and placed me there. That didn't come out, though. I just, I don't like Chicago. They're like, what are we doing here? But everything I shared felt like that. And we left from that meeting. We looked at each other and we're like, what was that? And then we were upset. I was humiliated. Ash was pretty upset because she's like, I just wish that they could have heard your heart. They didn't get to hear your heart for ministry or your passion or, or the things that God has been teaching you. And that's very, very true. So that door shuts, and here's what it felt like. It felt like disaster, like humiliation. And all of a sudden, my head's hanging low, and I'm like, I guess, you know, it is what it is. And I just start to embrace this. I'm not sure I'm really cut out to do this sort of thing. In fact, I started working with some uh, church planting networks to try to have conversations in that direction. And basically, the truth about church planting is the success or failure of the church is largely dependent upon the planter and the team around them. So you have to go through all kinds of vetting stuff of like personality profiles, gift mix, all this different stuff. I start, they're going to bring, so they do a multi-day assessment. They're trying to find the chinks in the armor because this is going to be the hardest thing you ever do. And so I'm doing the, the preliminary stuff and I just come to a conclusion, oh, this isn't me. I don't have that gift mix. I don't have that skill set that they're looking for. I don't have that experience. I don't have this stuff. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I came to a point where I said, what I have is weakness. What I bring to the table 
is not some litany of all these different gifts that, I'm, that I possess that I'm bringing forward and we're going to do this thing because I'm the leader. No, no, no. I came to a place where I was like, I'm just a, a wounded, broken, needy individual, and that's just fine. The launch of our campus, if you guys were a part of it, 85 of us decided we wanted to start a, a gospel-centered church in McChesney Park. And so we started dreaming about that and, and uh, started moving in that direction. And it was so exciting. We were meeting at the Hilltop Ministry Center on Mitchell Road. We're having these meetings. We're talking about life together and what this is going to look like. And, and honestly, like that, that process was so fun. And we were so excited about it. And then it kind of went sideways. Like it started to turn into something that we were like, oh, I'm not sure this is what we were signing on for. And so the launch of our campus really was a, a, a season of waiting for us, where we were talking about some stuff, but it didn't feel like it was ever going to come true. And we just kind of said, that's going to be okay. We're, we're going to ride this thing out and see what God does. And then um, the experience as a campus, I mean, a lot of you guys are new. That's why I'm trying to share this again, because uh, you, you, you don't have this experience that we all went through together, and, and I want you to know this is our history. And something that we're not embarrassed of is something we're proud of. But the first few years of being a campus was rough. We were meeting at that building, and they sold it. We were, we were about to launch our church, and they sold the building to a school of autism, Easter Seals. And when we tried to draw up a contract with them, they're like, we're not even interested. We're moving a school in here. So then we moved to a different location, an event venue, the Hawksview Restaurant on the corner over here, and it was, you know, different ownership at that time, and we started meeting there, and it was exciting, and then they're like, we're not going to renew our lease. Good luck. And so we didn't have the ability to pursue a rental with them, so we went out to the tree farm. And then we went to Harlem High School, and we, we just bounced around, and it just felt like, okay, here's our life together, instability. Here's our life together. I don't know if we're going to be together in two years. I don't know if we have a plan that extends beyond the capacity that we have to set up church week after week after week. I don't know if we can do this indefinitely. And that was the experience that we shared together. And then a pandemic happens, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, everything looks different. And we're meeting in a wedding garden out at the tree farm, just out in the open air and doing these different things and big, big giant like circus tents and doing all this stuff. And our whole experience together has been marked by weakness and waiting. And so then we become autonomous, we purchase a building, we rehabilitate the building, and a lot of us show up in that season. A lot of people show up. And what I want to say is, let's not lose our history. Let's not lose that posture that has gotten us to this moment, the posture of weakness and waiting. It does feel like things are really, really exciting right now. There's momentum, there's energy, uh, there's a thrill about how God has been so kind to us, but I don't want to take my finger off the pulse of that principle that we find in Scripture. What we want to do is continue in this spirit of weakness and waiting, trusting that God is going to provide what we need at just the right time, trusting that God is going to help us as we move forward into this new season. So I'm, I'm going to now turn our attention to what the future might hold. It's the end of this year. We're looking ahead to next year. We're finalizing things like a proposed budget for the upcoming year. We're trying to figure out where God is leading us together. There's all kinds of significant things that are happening. 
And as I pray about it, here's how I feel. This moment right now might be the most significant moment in the life of our church. And the reason for that is because we now have a place that we call home. We now have a lot of people who are excited about where we're going together, and we don't even know where that is, right? So this moment is going to demand incredible leadership, and I'm just going to be straight with you. I'm tired, right? Five years in of all these different things that have been going on with us, I'm pooped. Now, I'm not saying that in like a, hey, help me out here, guys, or, you know, feel sorry for me. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. And here's what I believe is true. That's okay. That a lot of us that have been a part of this, we're, we're exhausted. And we're going to move into this next chapter together, and I'm confident God's going to do incredible things. But the tone and the vibe of our church, if I have my way, it will be one of weakness and waiting. We will make strategic plans. We're not just going to, you know, aimlessly beat the air. We're not just going to say, hey, we don't have a plan. We're just going to see what happens. No, we're going to set a course and we're going to go after it, but we're going to acknowledge our limitations. We can't do everything. We, we can't pursue every idea. We can't, we can't invest in all the things that everyone would love to see happen. We don't have the capacity for it. But what we can do is we can laser-like focus on the, the couple of things that we know God is, is leading us into. And I'm going to share with you now what I think a couple of those things might be. All of these ideas are not new. They, have, they go back to 2007 and the things that I wrote down in my journal at that time. They go back to the pitch that was made in 2016 and the things that I shared with the leadership team of Central. They, they, they've been a part of our experience together in our different locations. The thing that I think really, really, really matters is that we would figure out how to organize ourselves in such a way that a lot of us have that opportunity to experience life together on mission. Let me share this stuff with you. I'm going to draw a couple pictures. Be gracious with my handwriting skills. My kids got all of them, and you're stuck with me today. But if you think about the local church, this, what happens on a Sunday morning it's about an hour. And then what do you have? What do you have with the rest of the week? You've got 167 other hours. If you're going to think tactically about how to encourage as many people as possible to live on mission, what is the best strategy? I'll be honest, this is very limited. One meeting a week is very, very limited. Now, I believe in it, obviously, I'm giving my life to it. I think that the gathering of the local church is a non-negotiable. I think that opening the word together and allowing God to speak to us is a non-negotiable, but this has incredible limitations for getting done what we need to get done. And let me just remind you of the mission that we have. The Lord himself in Matthew 28, he gave us the great commission. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's evangelism. Go and tell people the good news of the gospel so that they might respond by faith and become followers of Christ. Go and make disciples. He says, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here's the second thing we need to do, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's discipleship. Make Christians and then help them to mature. Make Christians by evangelizing them and then mature them by discipling them. That's our calling. 
as individual believers, but certainly as a local church. Make Christians and help them mature. Is this going to get it done? Probably not. It'll help, for sure. It'll, it'll be significant. But the elders and I, we sat down a couple weeks ago, and we said, okay, we need, a, we need a plan. We have a conviction that these things are very, very important. We have a conviction. We believe Matthew 28 and the call to evangelism and discipleship is something that we ought to give our lives to. We have that conviction. We, then the culture, you know, as we think about, okay, we want this to be true, so you could walk into Park City Church and go, this is just the vibe of the place. People become Christians and uh, get mature in community with other people. Here's the piece that we've been aiming at for a long time. We've never onboarded. It's the constructs, the, the strategy, the, the scaffolding to help build this thing. And so the elders and I, we sat down. I'm going to just briefly share this with you. Let me pay attention to time too. Um, all right, th- three different areas that I think will create opportunities for people to jump in. Alpha, many of you, if you did Alpha with us, raise your hand. Quite a few of us, okay? It's a, it's a group experience for those who are entertaining the idea of faith. It's, that's what it's designed for. If you're not a Christian yet, this would be the kind of environment that's safe. You can ask whatever questions you want. You can basically say, why would I ever want to be a Christian? And that's exactly appropriate in that environment. It's a multi-week experience. We want to offer Alpha so that way people don't feel like they have to show up to church to become a Christian. It could happen, but there's just a lot of hurdles. It, I think there's a lot of opportunities for people to jump into Alpha who aren't here today. Then, Rooted. How many of you guys did Rooted? Show of hands. A lot of us did Rooted. Rooted is a 10-week discipleship pathway. It helps people practice spiritual rhythms, Bible reading, prayer, serving, helps you learn your spiritual giftedness, all these different things. It's a clear pathway. What if somebody starts out in Alpha, then in the next semester does Rooted? And then finally, what do we want? The bread and butter is the, the groups. We want people doing life together on mission. And the strategy that we can maintain is not just continually buying new books for people to study, but it's helping people connect the dots between what they're experiencing here and how to live that out in real time. How do, you, how do you open the word together and go through First Peter? But what does that look like when you show up to work on Monday morning? And so sermon, sermon-based kind of applicational groups where you, you get together, you hang out, you talk about life, you share this stuff together, you do accountability, you do your devotions, you do all these different things. But at the heart of this is a desire to do life on mission with other Christians. And this is, this is something that we can sustain long-term. Because we will always have content because we're connecting the dots between these things. And then what you have is a lot of different opportunities for people to jump in. People can jump into an alpha group for the first time. They can jump into a rooted group. They can jump into an ongoing uh, house group or whatever you want to call it. But it's an ongoing small group experience. And then our leadership development pathway lines up with that as well. Leaders have that opportunity to start and go through shared experiences with other groups and potentially become group leaders along the way. And we're tying these things together along the way. That way, everyone who wants to be in a group experience has ample opportunity to do that. And that way, every person who indicates an interest in being a leader, we have a clear pathway to help them grow and mature and ready them for it. But this would be the kind of scaffolding 
that would help us get there. And this would be a foundational piece of our church, a clear strategy for helping people do what we're all about, which is doing life together on mission. We don't just want to sit here. I don't just want to send you out with that closing benediction every week. I want to have real experiences where people are sharing life together and figuring out how can we do life on mission together. I think all of this fits in the theme that I've been sharing today. As a church that's full of weakness and waiting, we want to have a very clear and simple way for people to become involved around here. Um, Again, I feel weak and needy, and I think as a church organizationally, we're kind of in a weak, needy, fragile moment, and all of that is okay so long as we, we turn to God in this moment. And listen, I'll, with my weakness and my neediness, with my uncertainty, the elders and I, we talk through this, but listen, even if none of this happens the way we envisioned it on a whiteboard, we're going to maintain that posture of weakness and waiting, whatever happens in this next year. But we're just saying, hey, why don't we just kind of laser in on this one concept here and see what we can do with it and see if God will bless it. But no matter what, we're going to continue to look to him for his guidance and his leadership and his blessing. Let me pray. Um, Let me pray and we'll uh, step into the final part of our service together. Lord, we're acknowledging our weakness. We're not going to be shy about it. We're not going to be bashful. We're going to embrace it. And we're going to trust that you and your unlimited strength and ability will give us what we need. You will give strength to the weary. Lord, help us in this moment. Help us to discern your leadership. Help us to think clearly about what you want us to be doing in this upcoming year and, and well beyond that, Lord. My, my goal for this church is that we would not be a flash in the pan, but we would be able to set down roots here in McChesney Park and we would create a ministry that is sustainable long-term and it would be a blessing to the state line area. And it would be a blessing to everyone who's in here this morning who can hear my voice, everyone who understands uh, what it looks like to be a part of the local church. So Lord, would you please have your way in this church for your glory. Amen.